When you think of legendary win streaks in MMA, a short list of names come to mind. Most notably, Fedor Emelianenko, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, and John Jones. Clearly, there is controversy with the last two, but their records are official. Then there are the more recent dominant champions like Demetrius Johnson that have shattered the consecutive title win streak set by Anderson Silva, and then there's Stipe Miocic, who broke the longest UFC heavyweight title defense streak. But if you go back to the early 2000s, this landscape of the most dominant champions was a relatively new concept in MMA. The first true dominant champion was Ken Shamrock's brother, Frank Shamrock, hey brother. with four title defenses before he vacated the title in 1999. Pat Militich had four defenses ending in 2001, Tito Ortiz five defenses ending in 2003, and then Matt Hughes who had five defenses himself also ending in 2003. For frame of reference, 2003 was the same year that Fedor had just won the Pride Heavyweight title for the first time. But one of these early streaks stands out to me as a real pioneer of his era, Matt Hughes. He actually had 29 matches outside of the UFC and all over the world before being crowned welterweight champion in 2001. It was a wild journey that saw him face legends and future champions from larger weight classes. I'm Jason from MMA On Point and this is called MMA Legends Matt Hughes. Everything goes back to Hillsboro, Illinois, where Hughes was born to a farming household with a competitive twin brother and older sister. Together, he and his brother Mark held an intense rivalry growing up, and it wasn't long before this translated to sports and football and high school wrestling in particular. Both were known for being extraordinarily strong on the mats, able to outwork and outmuscle their peers. And by the time the two finished high school, Matt had won the state finals twice in his junior and senior years, and his brother had finished second in his senior year at 145 pounds. Both received scholarships at Bellevue College for their wrestling abilities, but it was Matt that continued on to a Division I wrestling program at Eastern Illinois University, placing fifth in the country as an All-American while there. But after that, there were few athletic opportunities for an amateur wrestler to explore post-college. Pretty much the Olympics or find a job. There was something else going on that started gaining popularity. Some credentialed amateur wrestlers had begun doing what was called no-holds-barred fighting at the time, or what we now know as mixed martial arts. And so within a year, Hughes found himself in his first match on New Year's Day, January 1, 1998, in a Chicago high school. It's so obscure and early on that there's no video or pictures of the event at all. It only took him 15 seconds to win by KOing his opponent with a slam. He then won again shortly after in a match that just so happened to be refed by UFC and MMA legend Pat Militich, where he was recruited into Militich Fighting Systems in Bentendorf, Iowa. This was one of the first truly elite gyms of early MMA. They boasted a set of champions that once ruled many divisions of the UFC like Pat Militich himself, Jens Pulver, Tim Sylvia, and future champ Robbie Lawler. So in addition to recruiting Matt, they also got his brother Mark as well. And so for his third match, he steamrolled his opponent, and that led to the future and very first UFC middleweight champion, Dave Manet. He was already 15 fights into his career, and Manet was clearly the bigger man. But despite these advantages, Hughes dominated him throughout their entire fight. And he did it with his signature slams and top game control that just proved too much for Manet. And next, he was up against a future UFC veteran who at the time was undefeated, a 10-0 prospect in Dennis Hallman. So when Hughes fought him, it was assumed he'd be able to overcome Hallman, much like he did his previous opponents. But only 17 seconds, Hallman sunk in a guillotine that not only defeated Hughes, but choked him fully unconscious in shocking fashion. Despite this, though, Hughes immediately went on an impressive win streak right after. And it was this string of impressive wins that was 
enough to finally get him into the UFC. And again, he dominated the fight with heavy wrestling and ground control. It was a great debut, but since this was the old days of the UFC being owned by SEG, he only had one fight with a promotion before competing elsewhere. He'd win eight more fights, with six coming by stoppages just after. So with an 18-1 record, Hughes was back for another stint in the UFC against Brazilian Valetudo veteran Marcelo Aguilar at UFC 26. And it was a night that really showed off the prowess of Militich fighting systems to date. All in one night, Jens Pulver earned a decision win, Hughes ended up winning by Dr. Stoppage, and Pat Militich himself was able to defend his title for a third time that night with an armbar. Less than a month later, Hughes would get an armbar himself before moving on to rings. Here he went on another three-fight tear with a decision and two submissions. Hughes was riding high. It had been over two years and 18 dominant wins since his lone loss to Matt Holman. His brother Mark had even competed himself just a month before at UFC 28 and won impressively. So at UFC 29, the two were set to clash again, but Holman was still too quick and experienced, submitting him this time at 20 seconds with an armbar, only three seconds longer than he had lasted in their first fight. To make matters worse, Hughes went on to face Brazilian MMA legend Pele two months later and was brutally knocked out with a knee to the head and strikes that followed. So then he was at his first real crossroads having two devastating losses back to back. But he didn't let that get to him, and he jumped right back into a fight the very next month and rings again. And here he won his next five fights by stoppage. The losses didn't slow him down at all. But then something pivotal happened. Pat Militich lost his long-held title by a bulldog choke to Carlos Newton at UFC 31. It was to be his fifth title defense and was considered a big upset loss at the time. So Dana White is the newly installed president of the UFC since Zupa bought the company earlier that year, looked to Hughes as the next challenger for the title. Hughes resisted at first believing that his coach Pat Militich should get the title shot instead, but was encouraged by Militich to take the fight anyway. So he did against Carlos Newton for the title on November 2nd, 2001. The first round saw both manage to gain control on the ground in a fairly even fight. But the second round was completely unexpected. Newton was able to snag Hughes in a quick triangle choke that he defended by lifting Newton up and initially leaning him up against the cage. And just as Hughes was about to go unconscious from the choke, he slammed Newton with everything he had. It was enough to knock Newton out completely. It was strange because Matt's eyes were open and he appeared conscious, but was basically out. And as a result, he was declared the winner and new champion. It was an incredible way to win, but it certainly garnered him a fair amount of controversy, as many argued that it should have been ruled a draw or no contest. For now though, Hughes had his first title defense in front of him. And he was going up against a tremendous champion from Japan who at the time boasted a 19-1 record, Hayato Sakurai. And his only loss was to Anderson Silva. And the real story of the fight was Hughes' wrestling. He outworked and muscled Sakurai through almost the entire fight, getting the finish in the fourth round with heavy blows on the ground. It was a masterclass for a first defense, but he needed to silence the critics next. So going back, immediately after their first fight, Newton was vocal about his issues with how Hughes won. Yeah, I think we're both out. I believe that was the only reason he fell to the ground, because he was choked out. So there was a considerable amount of buildup for this rematch when they headlined UFC 38. This time, it wouldn't be so close. From the beginning of the first through the fourth where Hughes was able to earn a stoppage, it was complete domination. There was no doubting him as the rightful champion at this time. But of course, moving forward, there wouldn't be any breaks in his title reign as he next fought former middleweight title challenger Gil Castillo, and then a brutal contest with the future lightweight champion Sean Shirk. Up to this point, all of Matt Hughes' bouts were strictly competition. He had competitive rivalries with the likes of Newton and Dennis Hallman, but it was never personal. 
Enter Frank Trigg, a brash, outspoken, trash-talking fighter that paint my toenails because I'd like to. With a similar background to Hughes in D1 collegiate wrestling. And the two weren't just foes, they were totally opposite personalities. I'm taking you down, and I'm gonna beat the out of you. And I'm gonna get up, and I'm gonna take your belt, and I'm gonna go home, and I'm gonna have a drink. And when the fight started, to Trigg's credit, he immediately scored a takedown as the round started. But Hughes was able to reverse the position with a huge slam, and just before the end of the round, he landed a highlight reel choke on Trigg while standing. And just like that, Matt Hughes was the most dominant champion in the entire sport by that time. Tito Ortiz was the only other fighter to hold five championship defenses, but by this point, Ortiz's streak was already broken, while Hughes was looking as good as ever. After the Trig fight, then-UFC analyst and interviewer Eddie Bravo mentioned rumors of BJ Penn wanting to come up and challenge for the title. Power 7. There's a rumor going around that BJ Penn wants to move up and fight you and challenge you for the belt. What do you think about that? You know what's crazy about the moon? Moon, 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 moon. Nice dick, Frank. This was particularly odd for a few reasons. Despite his best efforts, Penn was unable to win the 155-pound belt. He'd lost in his first title shot against Jim Spulver and then climbed his way back to a title shot in the lightweight tournament against Kel Uno that unsatisfyingly went to a draw. So going up to challenge for the 170-pound or welterweight title against Hughes was seen as a mismatch by many. But it just happened to be the right time where BJ had some name recognition and Hughes had cleared out his division with no clear contenders. And Penn was confident he had the skill set to defeat Hughes and in one of the most shocking upsets in MMA history, BJ in fact did that by rocking Matt on the feet, again on the ground, and got to his back with just 20 seconds left in the first round to choke out Matt Hughes. It was absolutely stunning. But before they could rematch, Penn felt there were better fights outside of the UFC and decided to sign with K1. This plunged himself into a legal battle with the UFC that left the welterweight title back up for grabs as BJ vacated it in the process. So just three months later, Hughes was back on the grind getting a decision win over the undefeated prospect Hanatu Barisimo. And this was also the time that George St. Pierre had arrived in the promotion, and he was undefeated, gaining wins over the incredibly dangerous submission specialist Caro Parisian and earning a TKO win of Jay Huron. So when the belt came up for grabs after BJ Penn left for K1, it was Matt Hughes versus the 23-year-old and still very green George St. Pierre. By this time, GSP hadn't even been fighting for three years. And by the time of his first fight in 2002 against Ivan Menjavar, Hughes was already the welterweight champion of the world. For this reason, GSP idolized Hughes, who was already a legend at this point. He even says to this day that he was mentally beaten before stepping in the cage. And the veteran savvy of Hughes and technique was on full display as he pulled out the armbar win over the future legend. So Hughes was back on top as champion again. But just like that, he was thrown right back into a rematch with his nemesis, Frank Trigg, yet again. By now, there had been almost two years separation from their first bout, and Trigg had earned a second title shot with a couple of wins. To this day, Dana White refers to this as his favorite fight in UFC history. While in the clinch, Trigg landed a flush knee to Hughes' groin that he immediately reacted to. Bizarrely, referee Mario Yamasaki nearly stepped in, but changed his mind and let the fight continue. Things got so dangerous for Hughes that he ended up in the back mount of Trigg, where he was going for a rear naked choke. It was the perfect way for Trigg to win considering he lost to Hughes by the same submission in the first fight. But Hughes, being the legend that he is, fought his way out of the position and ended up slamming Trigg across the length of the cage and ended up getting to his back and defeated him again with another rear naked choke. You couldn't script a fight to go any better than this. Absolutely brilliant. And so then Hughes would win his next bout by securing a Kimura against Joe Riggs before facing UFC legend Hoist Gracie. 
And through all these performances, Hughes had become a huge star. But Hoist Gracie, although far past his prime, was still such a fixture in the sport, and it was a real question of the old versus the new for many. But as soon as the bell rang, it was a complete mismatch. Hughes dominated Gracie in the fight, nearly submitting him with a straight armbar before demolishing him with grounded pounds. Gracie is an incredible legend and forefather of the sport, but it was clear that the next generation had advanced far beyond the past. Meanwhile, BJ Penn had finally returned to the UFC and had just lost a very close fight to George St. Pierre in a title elimination bout. But as the rematch was booked against Hughes for UFC 63, but since GSP was injured in training, Penn was called up as his replacement to fight Hughes for the title at UFC 63. And this time, Hughes was fully prepared for a war and no longer underestimated BJ as he did in the first by the end of the second, Hughes found himself deeply sunk into a triangle armbar with 40 seconds left in the round. It was a dire situation that surely looked to be the end, but somehow Hughes pulled out of it right before the end of the round, and by now BJ was visibly suffering from heavy fatigue. It was all the opening Hughes needed though with his outstanding conditioning to take over the fight. And by the end of the round, Hughes locked up the crucifix position on Penn. With his arms taken away, Penn was completely defenseless and was taking shots over and over again. Again until John McCarthy was forced to stop the fight and save him from further damage. He regained his title and defeated the only man who was able to take it away from him. George St. Pierre, who is ringside to witness it, infamously entered the ring after the fight to comment on Hughes' win. I'm very glad you won that fight, Matt, but uh, I'm not impressed by your performance. But regardless, he was considered the greatest champion in UFC history by this point. Dana White just said, you are the greatest champion ever. And just so we understand we're out here, Anderson Silva was still two months away from first winning the title from Rich Franklin. But the inevitable rematch with George St. Pierre was just around the corner. He was all too ready for the rematch and ended up having a huge head kick and finished Matt with strikes in the second round. He was just undeniable at the time with confidence to overcome his hero this time out. And what I would consider the most shocking upset in MMA, let alone UFC history, GSP promptly lost the very next title fight after he won it from Hughes to Matt Serra of all people. So after winning against Chris Lytle, Hughes found himself in title contention immediately after against the newly crowned champion Matt Serra. And they had a considerable rivalry built up through the sixth season The Ultimate Fighter where they were head coaches of the show. But Serra ended up injuring himself ahead of their fight which put their feud on hold as GSP stepped up to replace him for the interim title. This was Hughes' chance to avenge his loss to GSP just as he did with BJ Penn to regain gold. But the youth and exuberance of GSP showed that the guard had truly been passed when he dominated the entire fight to earn an armbar victory, marrying the loss he suffered in the first fight with Hughes three years earlier. St. Pierre was just that good. And to be frank, his next fight was probably his most devastating loss. When he stepped in last minute to fight Tiago Alves at UFC 85, he took a massive flying knee to the head that, in the process of being knocked out, awkwardly fell on his back knee, tearing his MCL and partially tearing his PCL. It's times like this that remind you of how vicious and brutal the sport can be. But Matt Hughes is a real legend, a true champion that's always willing to fight anyone at any time. So within just a year, he was back at it, going after unfinished business with his rival Matt Serra. The two put on an incredible fight with Fight of the Night honors where Hughes was able to get the win. And it didn't stop there. 
He then chopped down Henzo Gracie at UFC 112 with so many leg kicks that Henzo could no longer stand and then submitted Ricardo Almeida in the first round at UFC 117. Between his wins over Henzo and Hoist Gracie as well as Almeida and Matt Serra, who were both Gracie top students, he earned himself the nickname of being the UFC's Gracie killer or hunter like Sakuraba earned in pride. And the great irony of this is that neither Hughes nor Sakuraba held a black belt in any discipline aside from Sakuraba's honorary black belt and BJJ awarded after his most seminal wins. Sakuraba learned his submissions from shoot wrestling and Hughes learned his from militant fighting systems. So earning that moniker was a massive accomplishment to pair with his achievements in wrestling and MMA to cap off an incredible athletic career where he was even given Hall of Fame recognition pre-retirement. But he still wasn't done competing next going against BJ Penn for a grudge match to settle their traded wins and losses. And it definitely felt like the right fight to make relative to their career statuses at that point. But only 21 seconds into the fight, Hughes was out cold from BJ Penn's combination and strikes on the ground. This immediately raised serious questions about the fidelity of Hughes' chin. Then after UFC 135, when Josh Koscheck faced Matt Hughes, it was largely speculated to be Hughes' last fight. But nevertheless, it was a fun matchup with two world-class All-American wrestlers with the betting odds weighed in the favor of Koscheck. But it was still expected to be competitive. Josh was just the faster, more powerful striker with youth on his side. Koscheck was able to knock him out at the very last second with hammer fists as he laid unconscious in the cage. It's a situation that we see time and again, where the very thing that makes us continue to admire, respect, and appreciate these legendary athletes is the very thing that also leads to their ultimate undoing. The unrelenting desire to face and overcome all challenges eventually betrays them. I've said it many times and I'll say it again, the sport is vicious and cruel. Hughes was unwilling to say he was indeed retiring at any point in the night and even denied that in the cage. And it wasn't until a year and a half later that he officially retired. Since then, he was offered a lifetime position that was eventually retracted by WME when they bought the company. And in 2017, he suffered a horrific car accident where he was smashed by a train that left him nearly dead and in a coma. In a truly class act move, he was honored by the UFC in January 2018 after his miraculous recovery from the incident as he made one last walk into the arena. Without trying to wax poetic, moments like this are really transparent examples of what we admire so much about these legendary athletes. When they're at their best, they represent the best about human nature. Overcoming adversity, pushing through the seemingly impossible to ultimately survive and come out on top. The titans that these people are remind us to strive and try to do the same. favor of a new system that awarded fighters bonuses based on their performance which was labeled as performance of the night many speculated how this change would be implemented would it be a system that would simply reward fighters for the two best finishes regardless of ko or sub or would it be